Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Keith Johnston. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by Principal Analyst Katie Tynan and VP Principal Analyst JP Gounder to discuss their research around no more jobs and what exactly we mean by that. Welcome both. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Welcome, guys. Uh, I look forward to this cool conversation. To get it kicked off, let's just, we'll take a step back and uh, think about when everybody was in the throes of the pandemic, uh, you know, companies were rapidly changing how, where, and and when uh, they were doing their business. Uh, Whole business models were changed. And so they had to rely on the people that they had in this moment. Uh, Great companies uh, were hiring employees for their skills and their experience and all the diversity that they came with not necessarily adhering to a specific job description, uh, hiring the best talent. Uh, This gave all those companies an ability to recompose their workforce. Uh, Those that are a whole lot more rigid were not in that same position. So the title of your research is pretty provocative, No More Jobs. It sounds pretty dystopian rather than actionable. Uh, just to get us off, JP, can can you just define what you mean by no more jobs? Absolutely, Keith. Let's start by what we don't mean. What we don't mean is that this is a no more people model, right? This is not about uh, getting rid of your employees and turning to automation. Rather, it's about changes to the way we think about our hiring and sort of the construct of a job. It is also not about just contingent workers or on-demand labor. Uh, They are a component of the model, but that's not all it is either. What we are talking about here is companies being able to hire talent for their skills, their experience, their diversity, um, and allowing those people to be recomposed into new areas. So forming new teams on the fly. You just mentioned how adaptive companies had to be during different parts of this pandemic. Uh, That is something that we think will be a superpower going forward. So the world of no more jobs is a world in which this static, boring box of a job is being deconstructed a bit. That's a great point, JP. And I just want to build on that, that typically when we hire people, We hire people into job descriptions, which represent a small portion of who they are and what they're capable of. They are the things they can do right now that we have asked them to do right now. But of course, we know even about ourselves that we can do more things than we are doing right now. We have skills we are not using. We have skills we're capable of learning and growing into. And then we also have things that we're doing that may not be the optimal use of our talents and skills. So the whole point of No More Jobs is to open up the aperture of how we look at each individual person beyond that static box of this is the job description we hired you into. Therefore, that's the only thing you're capable of doing. And that's the only thing we need from you right now. And back to Keith's original point, that mindset was what allowed these organizations who already thought about their talent in this way to more quickly adapt and recompose when the demands of the market became rapidly different and they needed to ask new things of people all the time. So it really isn't 
isn't about saying we're going to eliminate humans or that even we're saying we're going to take away any structure completely. It's just that we're going to expand the idea of what each person is capable of and then apply that to a better understanding of what we need as an organization to execute on our strategy. So, Katie, let's just go a little bit deeper on that point, because you you talk about, you know, sort of fixed job descriptions. Clearly, organizations today have a, a hierarchical model in in place. It's been like that for quite some time. So what is the risk of continuing down this path and to your current employee set too of maintaining this model. So maybe you can dig a little bit deeper there. Yeah, there's a couple of things to talk about there. The first one is if you think about a traditional hierarchical organization that is a structured set of jobs and then something happens, be it a merger or a new product launch or some kind of transformation, which we know is very, very common and impacts organizations all the time. The way a lot of organizations have dealt with that, a legacy way of dealing with that, is to take a stack of boxes and say, we don't need these anymore. Let's throw them away. Let's fire all those people. And let's bring in a new stack of boxes, which is the new talent that we need. And first of all, there's a tremendous loss when you do that. There is a loss of institutional knowledge. There is a loss of that talent. But also there's a disruption. Now you have people who are leaving the organization, people who are coming into the organization that disrupts the engagement of everyone in the organization when that happens. And so this idea is that if instead we think about being able to recompose the workforce we have in a more nimble way, then we don't have to do that sort of shifting around of boxes the way we did in the past. So that's one big advantage of this model. And then the second big advantage to your point about each individual employee is that it allows people to see a much more dynamic growth path. So we have seen organizations experiment with some of these ideas in the past. We've seen things like Holacracy at Zappos, which was um, sort of the flavor of the moment for a little while. And some organizations adopted that, which is very recomposable, but also very flat. Anyone can be on any project at any time. And I think we see some limitations to that idea as well. So there's this balance to strike between really understanding what are we trying to do as an organization? What are the components we have to execute on that strategy from full-time employees to your on-demand workforce to automation? And then how do we leverage those tools in a really smart way that keeps the business moving forward without these sort of jolting shocks when we have to change. And, you know, there could be a couple of different reasons to do this. Um, one of them is really discovering those invisible resources inside of your company. That is to say the untapped talent. So in the old world where we are very much wedded to the job construct, you have a list of all of the different things that you're uh, responsible for but you're probably not tapped into to do anything outside of that job description. And that is very rigid. So that's unfortunate. We interviewed someone who said that they needed to find uh, an expert in um, SEO who spoke Japanese, right? So that they could do search engine optimization and they spoke Japanese. And they were able to find that because they had uh, an ontology, a set of skills that they had classified and they were able to determine somebody who had that skill. So part of it is actually, you know, uncovering 
new talents within your existing workforce. But then there's also the ability to uh, maybe compose new kinds of teams. So this is something Daimler has been doing for quite a while uh, in their various operations, you know, in car manufacturing. They can bring together a team of people that is comprised of engineering, R&D, marketing, sales, other kinds of experts, and they can put them together in a new kind of team on a project to solve a problem. So all of this kind of rests on this idea that if we're too rigid about you know, the job description and the, the duties of the day, you're missing out on these opportunities to find all of this talent or to create new kinds of teams. So uh, like everything I think uh, Jen and I have been talking about on podcasts the last two years is the pandemic has played a role. Um, so let's get that out of the way. Uh, Katie, the the pandemic did a few things with illuminating this challenge. Uh, you said that this was an outdated construct, this whole idea of hierarchical uh, companies before that. Um, what made you think so much more deeply and research this subject now? Was it the pandemic or was it something other? I think the pandemic has been a forcing function in a lot of ways because it pushed organizations to make some very rapid changes. But let's not uh, reminisce about the pre-pandemic with our rose-colored glasses on and say, oh, no, everyone was really in a state of, of great understanding about their roles and companies had all the talent they wanted and it was perfect. Pre-pandemic, we had lots of issues with talent and lots of issues with navigating through change. And in some ways, what the pandemic has done is forced organizations to become more resilient in the face of change because they had to. But at the same time, some of the dynamics that happened in the pandemic were just accelerations of things that we were seeing prior to that. So, for example, in the U.S., we're seeing that the workforce overall is shrinking and we've got some demographic changes that are happening. And what that means is the talent, which has been an abundant resource for a long time, is becoming more of a scarce resource. And when that happens, we can't just assume that we can throw money and talent at a problem to solve it. We now have to look at the different tools in our toolbox to execute on our strategy and use them in a smarter way. So JP has been writing about automation for years, but we've been a little stymied by why it has taken so many organizations so much time to adopt some automation technology, even when we see that it has such clear benefits. And I think part of that was inertia. But suddenly when the pandemic came to the table and they weren't able to do things the way they had done them in the past, we saw organizations try new things and experiment with some of these ideas. But the takeaway here is this isn't just a moment in time you can wait out and say, okay, we're going to get back to normal in another six months, 12 months, 18 months. We've all seen that that is just not the way things are happening, that anything that we're going to think about and strategize for the future is going to be need, need to be grounded in these ideas of scarcity of talent, better technology than we have had in the past, so more ways to do some of these things algorithmically, and a more robust on-demand talent pool out there that allows us to be more selective and more precise about what talent we bring in for what purposes. Now, I'm not saying any of this is easy. 
just to be totally clear, this is hard, it's complicated, and there are a lot of moving parts. But at the same time, we also heard from organizations in our research who said, when we do this, we see the benefits. When we do this, we see that flexibility. And so there is important value on the other end of it, but it certainly means changing a little bit about how you think about talent and how you think about executing on your business strategy. I feel like maybe unstated in sort of the impacts of the pandemic, right? But it's very obvious is the shift to hybrid or anywhere work. Like how does that GP, that layer added another, yet another layer to this cake, um, kind of impact organizations and their thinking about their workforce? Yeah. So anywhere work is driving a need for more systematic um, ways of coordinating and assigning work across your organization, right? You need to be extremely thoughtful about it because, uh, again, you can't just get everyone in a room and, and walk around and all that. Um, and so in the current talent environment where talent is scarce, you have a lot of attrition going on, um, you want to put into place a more systematic approach. And another term that Katie and I have been using with this is burstable, the ability to burst up and down. Uh, this is to say, maybe I need more talent at a given moment, uh, and I need less talent at another moment. That can also inter intersect with uh, the on-demand labor, right? So outsiders, contingent, and gig workers. So a more distributed organization means more need for digital, more need for coordination, but it opens up then the opportunity for you to tap into resources who may be in diverse geographies, in places that you haven't thought about before, and indeed people who are not full-time employees. So building that backbone, again, leads to more flexibility, adaptiveness, and resilience. Yeah, and Jen, I'll also say the way that Anywhere Work and No More Jobs fits together really nicely is that when we look at the no more jobs hypothesis, we're saying, let's unbundle what we're trying to do and let's make it in as much as possible discrete tasks and projects and things that we can see as outcomes. And then let's distribute those to the right person at the right time. And then we'll be able to measure the outcomes that those people are producing rather than focusing on less effective metrics like how long do they spend sitting in front of their computer every day or, you know, are they showing up early at work and then staying late? So I think it has really allowed us to focus on some much better management habits rather than defaulting back to some of the things that we were doing in the past. So all of this sounds perfect uh, for those companies that were able to do anywhere work, hybrid, distributed work, uh, you know, asynchronous, uh, you know, outcomes, all that stuff. Uh, make it very tangible for us, though. Is this an option to every company uh, on the planet? Um, and maybe uh, illuminating that for us by saying, what are the examples of those companies that have done this? Uh, well, and uh, maybe even the companies that have not done that well and need to consider this concept. So there's a number of different um, opportunities here. A very simple example that doesn't sort of over-index on knowledge work would be restaurants. 
restaurants had to make some pretty significant changes during various phases of the pandemic. And so whether they chose to partner with uh, someone like Uber Eats or DoorDash, or they, uh, you know, had to reorganize their um, labor force so that it wasn't about, you know, in in restaurant service, but rather curbside service or takeout or delivery, um, that is a form of, you know, using this model. Now, they may not all be doing that in completely high-tech ways, or they may be using other technology platforms like Ubers, but that's an example of, you know, pivoting in this fashion. Um, another really great example that is back in our realm of, of kind of knowledge work would be Publicis Group with their Marcel tool, which is kind of a multi-dimensional, um, you know, assistant that does AI-based assistant. One of the things that they told us is that during the pandemic, um, they actually decreased their use of contingent or on-demand labor. Uh, and this has been a problem across their many different agencies that they own, sort of going out and hiring uh, you know, on-demand labor actually raises costs. Instead, they were able to share talent, share resources internally across their 80,000 different uh, employees within their group of companies. And according to Publicis Group, they saved over 2,000 jobs through the pandemic by lowering the cost of contingent labor. So these are some examples. There's really uh, lots of them where you're essentially redeploying people on the fly adaptively to try to be successful. Yep. The other example I would give that we've seen some of this emerging in especially the frontline spaces in retail. So one of the things that happened in the pandemic is that you had rapid changes to sanitation procedures, to safety procedures, and you had a limited capability to gather people together to share information. And if you've ever had a retail job, you know that that's often how you learn about things is a shift of people get together in one space and they say, this is what we're doing and this is what needs to get done and this is what you need to know. Well, when we tried to move away from gathering people, a lot of retail organizations look to technology to help them do two things. First of all, disseminate information to a large group of people at scale. And second of all, be able to use just-in-time learning to help people rapidly have the right skills that they needed to do the new thing of the day. So if today we're wiping down the conveyor belts at the checkout with um, bleach, but then tomorrow we're not doing that, you need, first of all, the ability to deliver that information. And second of all, the ability to quickly skill people up on that new thing. So what we saw was a lot of retail organizations leveraging technology to deliver those micro learnings directly to their team members, as well as to have people be able to check in and check out to see um, that they were in the right place without having to physically communicate with someone. So JP mentioned this before, and I want to hit on it again. A lot of the things that we're proposing in the No More Jobs model were not possible until we had the technology that allowed us to do some of these things algorithmically, to do them at scale, to have them be distributed out to mobile devices or things that are directly in people's hands, to really get that connection between the individual, the thing they need to know right in the moment to do that work, 
and then the look at the whole person of what are all of their capabilities beyond just what we hired them to do. So a lot of this is grounded in the good use of emerging technology that allows us to do things that we couldn't do in the past. And I'll also say there's a lot of movement on this in the HCM and HR tech ecosystem. So a lot of the skills ontologies and some of the technology that underpins those have come through learning management platforms, learning experience platforms, as well as through, to JP's point, the recruiting platforms. So there's a lot of use of that underlying skills ontology that you need in order to do this well that is already in development by a lot of organizations to do other things so they may not have progressed to the maturity level of being able to do all of this complicated unbundling and matching and all of these things but they still want to have a very clear understanding of what talent do we have right now where are our gaps how do we do workforce planning and i will say one of the challenges we have had historically is that our employees are managed typically in our HCM solution, whereas our on-demand workforce is typically managed in a procurement system and managed wildly differently if you're using people who are hourly contract workers versus people who are working on a statement of work. So there's just a lot of complexity to doing this kind of workforce management because we've segregated the systems that are used to manage those different resources. And so another part of this doing this well is trying to converge all of those places that we look at our resources in order to get stuff done into either one place or at least a few fewer places so that we can have visibility into that. I'm feeling like some companies can do this because they've they've hired some, you know, some maybe T-shaped uh, types of individuals, but it definitely feels like your people have to be flexible and uh, okay with a little ambiguity. Do we need to change the the people within this model um, or can we condition from within uh, so the employees are, are comfortable with this? Yeah, I think it's both. So first of all, one of the things that we propose in the report is a new role for people managers that right now when we have teams that are sort of fixed, you have a people manager of some type who is responsible for the productivity of the people on that team. But if your teams are recomposing on at least a periodic basis, that relationship may not work and over the long term. And it would be very disconcerting for someone to be sort of bouncing around from manager to manager. So part of what we envisioned was the idea of an employee experience navigator or someone whose role it is to have a collection of people and that person is responsible for thinking about the employee experience for those folks, regardless of what teams they're recomposed into. So their job is to do things like understand the career aspirations for those folks, to understand where the work that they are receiving is coming from and how all of those pieces fit together in order to create an environment where there is some stability, because we know that as humans, we like that. But at the same time, I think it is 
also important, and James McQuivy has written a bunch on future fit, the idea that those people who are able to be adaptive and to think of themselves in that growth mindset, to be ready for change, sort of physically as well as mentally, those are the people who are going to be more successful and not just by organizations that adopt wholesale our idea of no more jobs, but any organization that exists in this marketplace and economy that we now live in where change is a given and where recomposing as organizations happens all the time, whether it happens nicely and smoothly or whether it happens in a more uncomfortable sort of way, it's still a fact of life that we're all going to go through these changes. So yes, Keith, I agree with you that we do need the humans in the workforce to come to the table with that resilience, with that aspiration to change and to grow. But we also need companies to provide some resources, such as these EX navigators, to support that transformation. The no more jobs model doesn't work in a low employee experience environment. It needs to be uh, an opportunity for workers to be able to uh, experience new kinds of situations that they wouldn't be able to do if they were stuck in a box of a job that was really strongly defined. Now, as we know, some jobs are really rich and have lots of uh, great duties and all of that. But this is looking at the whole person and saying they have skills that they can bring to bear on problems that we as an organization have. And we're going to use those skills in a more uh, fluid fashion and hopefully they're going to get something out of it as well. They're going to get a new experience. They're going to get something that helps them to figure out their own next step, hopefully at your own organization. So I, ideally, I think that's the, the the scary thing about the moniker is just no more jobs sounds scary, but the, it really is meant to be a pro-employee experience kind of uh, situation. Well, and let's not forget that one of the main reasons people leave organizations is lack of career development. So you're losing talent when you restrict them. You're losing talent when you only see people through the lens of the job that they were hired into. So we talked about a few things throughout the conversation, realizing that uh, technology, AI automation, you know, is affecting all work. I, is you know, there's you know, there's a there's a lack of talent out there. Um, we look at all of our future of jobs model is that you know we have some demographic crisis out there that's going to affect the labor pool. So I'm starting to think that this is not dystopian, that the reality is that work is being disrupted everywhere. So are you telling me that if it's not no more jobs, it's something like this for almost every industry, right? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, whether you choose to call it no more jobs or, or take our ideas, you are going to be disrupted, and it is not just the pandemic. We have been tracing over the last couple of years on the Future of Work team, collectively, Katie, James, Dave, uh, Angelina, uh, Betsy, and I, all of us have been looking at things like the pandemic, systemic events, risk events. It could be climate change. It could be political risks. The rise of automation in the workforce as a challenge, a downpour of data 
that is affecting your opportunity set very deeply and the power that employees themselves have to choose with their feet, for example, by attriting or, you know, by by speaking out against your company. So there are these shocks that are happening and you're going to have to reinvent. We think this is one way to think about this problem that will give you more flexibility, that will give you the ability to recompose the assets that you have and bring in new ones on demand. Uh, but there will be no one way to reinvent in the face of these shocks. Yeah. So Katie, wrap us up. So we made the point that every company is, is on a different spectrum of change for this. So um, tell us, what are the benefits to starting to think about this right now? So I think there are benefits on both sides of the equation. And one of the things we talked about in the original research was the idea that the traditional model doesn't work particularly well for companies. And I talked about that before, right? The whole, we have these boxes, we have to get rid of them and we have to get new boxes in order to change. And it makes companies more fragile. It makes them have challenges to adapting to change. But it's also not particularly good for individuals because individuals end up feeling restricted and not all individuals in the same job are the same. So JP and I are both analysts, but that does not mean we are identical people with identical skills who are capable of the same exact things. And in fact, our trajectories, our paths, the things we're interested in, the things we want to work on can be really different. So as we think about the no more jobs model and the benefits to individuals, it's that it really allows you to have each person able to adapt how they work to what's best suited to them, which in return creates a much higher level of engagement potentially. So if we do this well, if we do this in a high EX environment, it's really good for companies in terms of their flexibility and ability to adapt. It's also really good for companies because it allows them to be more precise about their workforce needs and to do things in a more controlled and efficient manner. And it's also really good for individuals as they see the opportunity to to learn, to grow, to develop new skills, and to constantly remain relevant. One of the biggest challenges we do see for individuals is worry about becoming stagnant and then not being marketable anymore. So No More Jobs also helps each individual have that ability to remain relevant in a continuously evolving job market. So it's good for people. It's good for companies. I think overall, there are so many more benefits then there are downsides. It's just challenging for a lot of organizations to get from where they are right now, overcome that inertia of, but this is just how we do things around here and get to the point where they truly can see and leverage the value of no more jobs. Fantastic conversation. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, JP. I'm pretty sure that we're gonna be talking more about this here in the future. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you both. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.